Good morning, church. It's good to see you. We're almost done with the book of Job now, and we'll move into the book of Revelation on Sunday the 20th, Lord willing. Um, we have one more lesson in Job, and then we have a special worship on the 13th that I, I think you're really going to enjoy. We're looking at Job 39, I'm sorry, 38 and 39. I'm sorry, too Scottish. Let me get 30, 38 and uh, 39. And it's a really fascinating passage here, and we're going to need to do some work on it. This is the first account of creation. And that's what we really got to get into our minds. 400, 500 years before the book of Genesis was written, this story, this play, this vignette was set out. And God himself is telling the story of how he laid down creation. And what he, this is very important because it's left completely out of Genesis. How he felt about it. And what he thought of what he made. And so it's, it's fascinating that it's in there, and it's rather tragic that we never really get our attention called to it if we just always go to Genesis 1 and 2, which are fantastic, by the way. But we, we lose some perspective here. Plus, there's some information that we need to know about the Bible and about God and about us that we find here. Job 38. Well, there are only so many 30s. Job 38, 34, 35, and 37. God speaking to Job. Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens? As we mentioned last week, uh, God can get sarcastic. And if that is not been in your picture of God, please adjust it. God has a sense of humor. God can get sarcastic. God can um, out-argue with you. And if you just want to throw insults back and forth, don't pick him. Because he's got some. And he knows things about us, so let it go. But there is a balance in this planet when it comes to water, water vapor, cloud cover, lightning, Lightning of actually two particular kinds, uh, terrestrial lightning, which is um, from ground to cloud, but also cloud to ground. There are different forms of lightning. At any given time on the planet, there is a very small bubble of this, it's very small range. The, the amount of lightning strikes of each particular kind are nearly constant 24-7 across the globe. It returns nitrogen to the soil. It relieves static charge from the earth. If it did not, uh, you would all die because, well, I would too. It's not like, you know, <laughs> I get a pass. We would be dead uh, because of the static electricity charge. Then we would starve to death if we didn't have the other with the nitrogen. It's a balance. And in fact, if you want to get water out of clouds, we and a big cloud, you know, right now you don't. You're in Middle Tennessee. You've had enough. But... If a big dark cloud's coming over and it doesn't look like it's going to rain, how do you get water out of that? Well, you can fly a jet through it and break the sound barrier, and you're going to get all the water. Now. It won't be a rain. It'll just 
we, we know that, that vibration can shake the water droplets loose. By the way, it is a court-martial offense for a military pilot to fly through a rain cloud and uh, break the sound barrier. Or like it, they're not allowed because the people under it aren't happy when that occurs. Uh, it's, we, we wanted rain, but we just didn't want all the water. And that's the thing. No life can exist without this balance. God knows the balance. And he's talking about, when I was laying this all down, I balanced this so that you could survive, so that you could live, so that you could thrive. We may not be the only planet God has in the universe. I know that's something which people ask, especially as we close last week with slides of star factories that are producing billions of stars around which eventually form solar systems, um, their own little galaxies and the like. And, and people will say, well, I wonder how many other worlds God has. I don't know. You don't know. We don't know. He may have none. He may have trillions. It's not our business. People, I had one person say, well, don't you want to go there and see? Doesn't matter. You can't. It's the distance. And, and I love physics. I play in physics. I work with physics. And yet, uh, let me just tell you, we do like to pretend that one day there might be hyperdrives and wormholes. We're making it up. There aren't any. You can't get there. In fact, we've now found a new theory about a way to get to the closest possible planet-like system, maybe. And we've got it down to 185 light years. Well done. You're not going. And by the way, they're not coming here either. So um, you see stuff in the sky. It is unidentified, but don't wave. It's a thing. Sorry for the UFOs in the crowd. Um, don't mean to hurt the aliens. God also speaks of laying down his creation. And I love this. He shows a part of his personality, which is, if I may be so bold, endearing. We don't normally get an endearing picture of God. Uh, but look, Job 38, starting at verse 39. Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in a thicket? Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth their young. Their labor pains are ended. Their young thrive and grow strong in the wilds. They leave and do not return. Oh my goodness, there's so much in here. Um, if you missed it, don't worry. We're coming back for it. I, I can still remember being at the university when the teacher, the professor, uh, drew an amoeba on the board. Easy done, by the way. Just make the ends meet. You got one. They have no particular shape. And he said, the first creature, he was English, because, um, you know, anyway, the first creature was an amoeba-like creature. You know, come from the primordial ooze. I always love that phrase, the primordial ooze. I've been in locker rooms. It exists. But he says, the, the first creature is an amoeba-like creature. And he started to move on. You can't move on from there. Uh, my hand went up. I said, what did it eat? Got very quiet. Amoeba only ate 
organic material. Therefore, it was alive or it is alive. Um, if that's the first life on planet Earth, life on our planet is going to last about 15 minutes, according to how robust the amoeba was. Unless, unless it's split in two and then one could eat the other. But then after billions of years, we'd have one amoeba. Uh, what did it eat? It was not a pleasant day in the room. But it needed to be said, everything eats. Think about that for a minute. That means that birds just didn't show up. Their food showed up. And that the food was more than the birds needed so that the food could re reproduce so we didn't run out of birds. Now think about this. All of that balance has to be laid down. And God starts laying it down in these chapters saying, you got to have this and you got to work with, for example, think of this. Uh, alligator snapping turtles. I love them. Um, I don't want to come across one without knowing it's in the area. But they're like little tanks. Well, big tanks sometimes. But they're amazing. They lay in the bottom of muddy ponds. And they open their mouth and they stick their tongue out and wiggle it. Now, why? Because it looks like a worm. They're fishing. Fish come by, they eat the fish. People say, so what's your point? Point is, which evolved first, the alligator snapping turtle or the fish? Who taught the alligator snapping turtle that their tongue looks like a worm? Um, little data point, turtles don't know about the existence of worms. They never sat around, thought, you know what? Let's try the tongue like a worm thing. It's instinct. It's built into them, as he said, they're, they're young are born, they get up, and they thrive. They know what to do. Bees know how to dance. In a particular, I love the fact that we serve a God that taught bees how to dance. And they know how to dance to show the other bees, there's pollen over there. It's this far away, and we need this many bees to go. And they go. Who taught the bees how to dance? We, some people say, well, you know, over billions of years, you got enough chances. There are a couple problems with this. You don't have billions of years. You've got to eat now. Each step of the process, you've got to eat now. Also, DNA is a very complicated thing. So I'm not going to go through a lot of DNA thing now. I'm just going to say, let's say it's 500 pages long. And you've got to have it in the right order. Right? We all understand that about DNA. More time or less, the more time you have with DNA, the worse it gets. It's rather like... What are the odds if we drop it from 20 feet that it's all going to land in order? Not very good. So we need more time. Let's drop it from 20 miles. No. Everything has to be actually already ready to serve. And that's an interesting thing. Everything eats. I used to think of that when we would watch one of those nature documentaries, remember? And they'd, they'd always, here comes the, you know, the little, I don't know, well, antelope on, on, on the African Serengeti, and here comes the crouching lion or cheetah going after it. And, you know, the music would play in the background as they're all going around, and, and the little guy would escape, and we're all going, whew. I was probably the only four-year-old, five-year-old in the room going, well, the cat's got to eat. Cat might have kids. Why don't we go show the kids sitting in their den going, 
dying of hunger because daddy didn't catch yet. Well, probably mama in the cat's world. Cats don't do much. The, the, the mama didn't catch it. Everything eats. It's almost like squirrels and nuts. You were probably told as you were a child that in the, in, in, as the fall approaches, that the squirrels go and they gather nuts and they bury them and they store them so that they have something to eat for the winter. It's kind of true. Uh, squirrels do go get nuts. They do bury them. They do stuff them places, but they completely forget where they put them. Uh, they, th- during the winter, they do gather nuts, but they're not the ones they laid down. You know, it's, it's very easy to surprise a squirrel many times because it will forget you're there. But because of this, we have forest and squirrels. If they found all the nuts, you wouldn't have forest. Be up to here and squirrels. If they didn't find them, you'd have lots of forest, no squirrels. Everything is balanced, and God is leaning in the balance. Even talks about pregnancy. I was in a um, discussion with some of my atheist friends when one of them said, there are so many mistakes in the human body. And I was thinking, well, talk about your own, you know, because magnificence here, but go ahead, take a shot. And he, and, um, he, he said, pregnancy. Pregnancy is awful. It's dangerous. It's complicated. And he went on and on. And I said, what would you prefer? And he said, there should be some system where it grows, and then you could, there's an opening you could just open and bring out the baby. I'm going, well, kind of do, but I know what you mean. He was thinking more, he actually used the word zipper. Um, and I'm, I'm just there finding this fascinating. Then I talked to him, and I said, have you ever noticed that God just has women have the babies? And he goes, well, yeah. I said, well, there you go. Women, um, women can take this for nine months. Men can't. Men can take a lot of pain. Oh my goodness, we can take the pain, but we need an end date uh, and we need to understand what's going on with the pain and it's got to be heroic and somebody's got to care. If not, we don't do it uh, at all. That's why we don't fix squeaky doors. Nope, there is no glory in that. We will, or take out the trash. Come on, you don't get a trophy. But we will rebuild the transmission in the bathtub. That's men, right? Women, uh, they have this hormone that then kicks in after a while in pregnancy that's the basically, it's got a long name, but it's a get this baby out of me hormone. And they go through all of that, they're invested in the baby. They wrap themselves around the baby. They swaddle the baby. Men, not so much. We'll walk in holding it by a foot. Does this thing need changed? We grab it and start trying to play with it, throwing it up in the air, and and it's always the mom that goes, ceiling fan, you know, and you you move over. Because men aren't as invested. Because women are invested, they protect the baby. Because they risked. They were in pain for this. They went through all, and it's, they're, they're amazing, you know, women are the only things that can usher a soul onto the planet. And that's just amazing that they're invested. Think about all of this. I, we, we can talk about snakes in the way that they don't see very well. They just don't. But they can see heat, the little sensors around their eyes. The um, a rhino, rhinos are, have the worst vision of almost anything. If you stand still, they're probably not going to see you. But I'm, I would rather just take people's word on this, if I'm being honest instead of trying it out myself. But that's what I've, I've 
seen constantly. Think of bioluminescence. There are other fishers in the sea. You go down deep enough, there are some fish that have this little lantern thing hanging out the front of their... And, and what's going on? Bacteria in there, as they metabolize what they are metabolizing, they give off bioluminescence. And that attracts other fish that this fish eats. All right, which evolved first? The fish that are eating, the fish that are fishing, or the bacteria that are bioluminescing? It's a system. It's a laying down of a system. And that's the beauty of all of this. We just cannot let loose. God has a system in place. And yes, being eaten is a part of that system for some. We see instinct here. Who taught the bees? Who taught the mountain goat how not to fall off? Which would be very embarrassing if you're a mountain goat. Let's, let's be honest. He loves his creatures. He find, Who counts the months? He loves this. He's wrapped around this. Take a look at Job 39, 13 through 18. The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully. I love that, by the way. Just real quick. I've had uh, a couple of atheist friends of mine, and they are friends. And I'm not making fun of them. They don't make fun of me. We have, we have great discussions. But they were saying, well, the, the, the ostrich was a bird or is becoming a bird. And the way they say that is because he doesn't fly with us. And I go, well, they, you're arbitrarily assuming to be a bird you have to fly. And penguins are, would like to talk to you if you have room for a meeting. That's not the way this necessarily works. What do ostriches do with their wings? So much. They really do. One, they stick their head down and fluff the feathers because lions don't see well either and they look like a bush. Seriously. They don't bury their heads in the sand. That's, they don't see that. They just put their heads down, fluff. And uh, lions go, nothing to see here. They also, as they run, use their wings like a F1 car would or an airplane does to help them turn because they run really fast and they don't want to skid out at the wrong time. They can out-corner most big cats, which is pretty cool. They also, because it's hot there, will pull their feathers a little bit away from their body and vibrate the moving air around the body, keeping the body temperature down. They flap joyfully. And of course, God's up there going, yeah, but they also do it because it's fun. Yeah, they do. Kind of like otters. God makes some things just because it's fun. They cannot compare with the wings and feathers of the stork. She lays her eggs on the ground. She lets them warm in the sand unmindful that a foot may crush them. In other words, these birds are brilliant uh, doing what they do, but they're not smart, and yet, we'll get to that in a minute, and there's an and yet, uh, that some wild animal may trample them. She cheeps her young harshly as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labor was in vain, for God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. <laughs> I just love his reasons. Yet, when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rider. You might think that's a stupid bird, but it can fly. Can you, Job? Can you catch one? You're not God. This is so important. The whole message is God is God and you are not. God knows what he's doing and laying all of this stuff down. The instinct of whales. When a whale gives birth, and you probably haven't had a sermon where that phrase was used, but let's work with it. She will then, another whale will help, push the little one up and let it breathe and go down. 
and then push it up. Now this varies according to species, and I would assume how smart the wee one is. But they do this until the little one realizes, I got to go up there to breathe. How long did it take them to devise this? By mistake and random experiment. We don't have enough whales for that. They had to be born knowing it. Or the bombardier beetle, one of my favorite things on the planet. Just looks like a big beetle, but it has four chambers in it. Ooh. Two of the chambers have toxins. If they touch, they'll blow up. So what are the other ones for? Well, they, they, they mix them, but the fourth chamber has a don't blow up yet chemical. I hope that's not too technical. Then, here comes a bird, here comes a snake, whatever sees it, starts to go for it. In that chamber, it heats that mixture up over 200 degrees like this and puts it into the fourth chamber, which is a remove the blow up inhibitor chamber. And like this, heats it up to 200 degrees and fires it off. It sounds like a, it's like a little 22 shot. Hot gas right into the face of the thing that's going to eat it. Normally puts them off. Quick, real quick question. How long did it take to get that mix and timing right? You can almost see them lined up. All right, we're going to go, we're going to go for 7327. Okay, that didn't work. You know, the whole time, God laid it down. There's a system here. Take a look at Job 39, 26 through. Does a hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread its wings toward the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build its nest on high? It dwells on a cliff and stays there at night. A rocky crag is its stronghold. From there, it looks for food. Its eyes detect it from afar. Its young ones feast on blood. Where the slain are, there it is. God spends a lot of time on birds, and I like that. Uh, we, we rescued parrots for eight years and loved that work. Um, and I could tell a lot of stories about it, but not today. It, it, we just, it was a blast. If you don't know what rescuing parrots is, look it up. Anyway, um, the birds are amazing. And we would house, house train the parrots that we were caring for. It took a few hours to a day. And they would, because a bird has to um, lighten up about every 23 to 27 minutes. And so they'd go back, lighten up, because it's all about flying. The, the bones are hollow. The, the feathers, each of those little ferals, are hollow, except on raptors, hawks, eagles. Why? Oh, okay. It's because several things. From afar, they see, their eyes are amazing. They see a little mouse going, dun, 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 dun. probably not doing the William Tell overture, but in my head they are. The hawk, now launches, is doing calculus and trig in its head. Doesn't have to pull out a Texas Instruments and go, you know, it's, it's on there. It's doing all the complications of math in its brain. As it comes, hovers over the mouse, as it's right, got the timing, throws its wings out and cuffs them to stall. That means a cessation of flight. You've now bu put bubbles over the wing, there is no lift, and they fall on the mouse, grab it, and without touching the ground, swing their wings out in a big, I mean, it is a massive G-force for those little feathers, push themselves up and go. Their bones aren't hollow. They have struts in them. 
Because if they didn't, when they did that stall maneuver and did this, you'd hear snap, 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 snap. And you'd have a boneless chicken. Little mouse kicking sand in its face. Nobody wants to see, no, we all want to see that, but we're not going to see that. How did that happen? Where is the mouse-hawk balance? God knows how to be God, so God steps in here to remind Job of that. Job 40, 1 and 2. The Lord said to Job, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Now, Job chapters 40 and 41 contain some puzzles. If we read it as translated in most versions, it sure looks like God's talking about dinosaurs. Uh, it really does. And creationists read it that way, and they'll say, see, here is proof that the dinosaurs walked among us. Well, evolutionists uh, will say, whether they're Christian or whether they're atheist evolutionists, will say there's a 65 million year gap there, there's a lot of evidence for the gap, frankly. So I'm going to ask you to do something as you read 40 and 41 this week. I want you to read it three times with three different ideas in your head. One, read it the creation way, that creationist way, uh, the young earth creationist, that these are dinosaurs. And you're going to go, dude, that fits. Second, read it the way that the notes in your Bible will put it. It'll talk about that down there, say, probably an alligator, probably a hippopotamus. Read that, and it kind of goes. There's one passage where it talks about its tail sways like a cedar, and you look down in the little notes, it says, possibly a hippopotamus. And I'm going, have you seen a hippopotamus tail? That's just not that impressive. Then I want you to read it a third way. Because in ancient Mesopotamia, they believed that demons lived in the sea and they named them leviathan and they crossed over land they named them behemoth and i want you to read 40 and 41 as spiritual warfare god saying i do that for you i push them back so that you have the safe place read it that way it'll blow your mind and it might change your prayer life a wee bit I do believe in uh, that we're not alone in the universe and some of the things out there don't like us. But we have a God. And he told us, fear not. And I think chapters 40 and 41 might have something to say about the why. If we start arguing about, all right, which one of these is right, I want to warn us because that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is not to identify every creature that's in 40, 41. It's rather like if I get into a discussion with people and now they're arguing over how much square footage a cheetah would need in the, in the ark, we have lost the plot. Because the ark's not about how much room each animal needed. The ark story is about do what God says and we live and survive and God will not allow evil to exist without punishment in his time. I saw a lot of that, by the way, and this is going to be a bit controversial, perhaps, and, I, and, and you know me, I'm never controversial. Um, there was a movie with Russell Crowe a few years ago about Noah and the ark. Christians lined up to criticize it before they ever saw it, 
don't do that. Just don't. And then they said, oh, there's these weird rock creatures. That, uh, and all it was was they were trying to show spiritual warfare. And you don't know what the cherubim and seraphim look like anyway. You don't know how it worked. Did they do some things in there that were not scripture? Yeah, of course they did. It's a movie. Was I offended? No. You got to do a lot worse than that to me to offend me. Goodness, I'm a sinner. I've offended more than I've been offended. It's, we really need some humility when it comes to this. But I heard Christians arguing about things. I'm going, it tells a story that lets us have a discussion. Why don't we just welcome the discussion? Rather than saying, this is the way it is, period. Mark, would you bring your people back up? I want you to remember a phrase. The point of the story is the point of the story. The point of the story of chapters 40 and 41 aren't, there were dinosaurs walking around with them, or even there was spiritual warfare. It's all about God is God and we are not, and he is in control of the narrative. He is in control of every layer because in creation he laid it down. When we get lost in details and arguments, we fall into the same traps that got us kicked out of Eden. We start over speaking for God. Let's not do that. Let's just let God say what he says and just enjoy walking in the garden with him. Micah 6, if we'll stand please. Micah 6 and 8 would be a good way to close this out before we read those passages three times. And I really hope you do. It is changing. It does change you. But before we do that, let's remind ourselves of this. Would you say this with me? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We don't have to know all the answers. We just have to know that there is one who does.